and we need to learn that today. But these Jews, they vigorously objected to the fact that sinners are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And listen, these objections needed to be answered. And just like last week, although Paul is speaking to Jewish Christians, he definitely has a message for you today as well. You see, many in our day, even some in our church, are asking basically the same questions that these Jewish Christians were asking back then. And I believe that these verses hold answers to the questions that they and maybe some of the questions that you are asking this morning. So let's consider some of these objections that really need answers. The first question that I believe these Jews were asking is this. Why bother with religion? In Romans chapter 3, I believe it's page 1001 in the Bibles in front of you. In Romans chapter 3, Paul addresses some of these questions and he says, What advantage then has the Jew? What benefit or what profit is it of circumcision? Much in every way, he says, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. Last week, Paul told these Jews that being circumcised, knowing the law, teaching others about the law cannot save your soul. And they said, well, if that's the case, what is the point in being religious? You ever ask that of yourself? What's the use? The Jews want to know. Why do I have to go through all this if it does me no good? Considering that good works can't save your soul. Considering that church attendance doesn't get you to heaven. Considering that clean living doesn't guarantee you a home in glory. What is the point in being a Baptist? Why join the church? Why attend the church? Why be active in the Lord's ministry? Why visit people? Why teach children about the Bible? Why worship? Why grow up in Christ? I mean, why bother being a religious person if being religious will do you no good? It's a good question, ain't it? Thankfully, God has the answer for these Jews. And he's got an answer for you today, too. God says in verse 2 that there is much value. Much value in being religious. Verse 2 says, much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. Paul responds to them by reminding these Jews that, man, they have been blessed in every way. Think of all the ways you've been blessed. Blessed in every way. But he says the greatest evidence of their blessing from God is that they have been entrusted with divine communication from God himself. It's pretty amazing. You see, when God gave mankind his word, 
He did it through a Jewish pen. Did you know that the book of Luke and the book of Acts are the only two books in the Bible that were not written by a Jew? And Luke and Acts were written by the same guy, a Gentile physician named Luke. So God revealed himself and he revealed his plan for mankind and he did it through Jewish people. But this not only made them a chosen people, listen to this, it also placed them in a place of great responsibility. Because they had the truth. Because God had entrusted the truth to them, they were now responsible before God to live that truth that God entrusted to them. And you know, the same is true today. Consider this. We must never think that good deeds, that religious living, or even that our ministry in our community will ever buy us favor with God. It just isn't true. But as Christians, we need to realize that it's the other way around. If you're exposed to the truth on a regular basis, you are now responsible to live this truth before God. See, as Christians, we have been entrusted with divine communication and to varying degrees, divine understanding of His Word. And because of that, because He has entrusted this Word to you, the greater your understanding of it, the greater your responsibility to it. God's Word tells us how people can be in a relationship with God. His Word tells us how we can glorify God in everything that we do. And if we don't translate this information to people, if we don't show the way to people, then listen to this. If you're listening, say amen. If we don't show the way... If we don't tell people, if we don't translate this information in a way they understand, then you and I are held accountable. If I entrust you with something, I trust that you're going to handle it properly. We are held accountable. So what then is the purpose of my religious activity? What is the purpose of your Religious activity. What is the purpose of our religious activity? Is it some kind of vain attempt to earn favor with God? Do you participate in religious activity so that others will see you doing things in the name of the Lord? Do you participate in religious activity because you somehow feel obligated to fulfill your duty? I want to just tell you one thing. If you or I or us is participating in religious activity for any other reason but to glorify God or show others the way, we got it all wrong. Y'all hear that? Two reasons for religious activity. To glorify God 
and shows others the way to him. If you're doing it for any other reason than that, you're blowing it. And you got it all wrong. So do, does our religious activity fulfill that intended purpose? If not, then I would agree with these Jews. Why bother? If you're not fulfilling the purpose, why bother? But there's a second question that I believe these Jews were asking. They were also asking not only why bother with religion, but why bother with responsibility? It appears like that God has forsaken us because of our sin. Look there in verse 3. For what if some are unfaithful? What if some do not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Will their unfaithfulness make the faithfulness of God without effect? You know, in that one verse, these Jews are basically admitting they've blown it. These Jews are admitting that they have failed to live up to their end of their covenant with God. And since that's true, since some Jews have failed, does that mean that God has written off the whole Jewish nation? What they were asking was this. Has the failure of some ruined it? For all? Sometimes we can ask that even in our own church family. Had the sins of a few ruined God's blessing for all? Has the God of grace forsaken his chosen people because some of them sinned? And if he has, if he has forsaken us, then why bother to serve him any longer? See, those questions kind of make logical sense, don't they? Paul's answer is going to give us some hope, just like he gave them hope. After all, who here has not failed the Lord at some point or time? I was getting ready to come sit next to you, sister. I love you. I knew what you meant. None of us. We've all fallen short. So here's some good news. Despite your sin, despite your mistakes, despite your seeming unfaithfulness from time to time, guess what? God is faithful in spite of your sin. In spite of the ways you've blown it, God is faithful. In spite of your mistakes, God is faithful. Look there in verse 4. Paul said, certainly not. Will the, unbel will the unbelief of some make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not, he says. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. Has God forsaken us when we sin? Did you notice the intensity of Paul's response? He said, certainly not. I read that, and you know what I said? Paul just said, no way, Jose. Amen? He said, God forbid, in the King James Version, Literally, this phrase says, may it never be true. His words are even stronger when he basically says, even if everybody else is a liar, guess what? God is true. God is faithful. Now, friends, I want you to think with me for a moment. And I want you to think with me about all the times that you have sinned 
just since you've been saved. It's like we need a calculator, isn't it? If we would all stand up this morning and start confessing our sins, if we would just stand up this morning and start admitting all the ways that we've been unfaithful to God, we'd be here all week, wouldn't we? But I want to tell you something this morning. All of your sins, every time you've been unfaithful to God, doesn't change the Lord's promise in Matthew or in John 6, 37, where Jesus himself said, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. I want to tell you something. God is faithful. Say it with me. Don't ever forget that. He's faithful in spite of your sins. And I say hallelujah to that, amen? Praise the Lord that he's faithful in spite of my sins. God stands ready to forgive me. He just waits for me to get to that same place of forgiveness. That same readiness, that same place where I'm ready to ask him. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In fact, the wisest man that the world has ever known, King Solomon, wrote this in Proverbs 28. He said that he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. What a wonderful blessing. So I want to tell you something this morning. That whatever, wherever life's road has taken you, whatever kind of sins you've committed, there is forgiveness. And there is restoration in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that God doesn't throw away the clay. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all looking at me funny. Let me share with you something the Lord spoke in Jeremiah 18. And the vessel that the potter made of clay was ruined in the hand of the potter. And so he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good for the potter to make. I'm so glad that God didn't give me what I deserved. Instead, he created a new creation in me. So why bother with religion? Because the Bible says there is much value in religion. Why bother with responsibility? Because God is faithful even in spite of your sin. But finally, another why bother question. Why bother with righteousness? Some of these Jews concluded, and these are kind of logical scenarios. Listen carefully. Some of these Jews concluded, since God is glorified 
through the forgiveness of my sin, maybe I should sin more. Did y'all hear that? If God is glorified in forgiving me of my sin, well, maybe I should make it easy on him and just sin more. That way God can get more glory. It's kind of a crazy way to look at things, but that's the way they looked at it. They were asking basically, well, maybe God will just overlook my sin. Maybe God will condone my sin. Maybe he will excuse my sin. Listen carefully in verse 5. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? For if the truth of God, in verse 7, if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, then why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, well, let us just do evil so that more good can come, as we are slanderously reported that some say. The end of verse 4 is a little passage from Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 is David's outpouring of his heart to God. And in that outpouring of David's heart, David is confessing his sin of adultery with Bathsheba. He is also confessing his murdering of Bathsheba's husband. And listen carefully in Psalm 51. I'm going to read the first four verses for you. Where David says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me of my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Their argument from the Jews kind of went like this. They said, okay, since God was ultimately glorified through the sin of David, because had David not had an adulterous affair with Bathsheba, do you know that Jesus came from that line? So ultimately, God took a sinful, wicked transgression and brought Jesus through that line. They said, hey, God was ultimately glorified through that. And since David's sin gave the Lord a chance to to demonstrate his grace in Christ, then it only stands to reason David was just helping God out. He was just helping the Lord to glorify himself when he sinned with Bathsheba. That was the argument. After all, God would have never got a chance to show his goodness and show his grace if David hadn't sinned. That's what they were saying. So when I sin, really I'm just helping God out. I'm giving God an opportunity to forgive me and apply His grace to my life. Furthermore, it's unfair for God to judge me, especially since I'm giving Him the opportunity to show His glory. That's pretty slick, ain't it? Pretty slick. It's a slick argument, but at the same time, it's a sick argument. Because 
That statement accuses God of using sin for his own advantage. And we know that God would never be a part of that. Hmm. Promoting sin so God would be glorified when he forgave me. That idea is contrary to everything that God is. That idea is contrary to everything that God has ever spoken in his word. But do you know that there are many people who are living like that? How many times have you said, Lord, forgive me, but I'm going to say it anyway. Ask for forgiveness before you sin. I wonder how well that works in the sight of God. But people do that all the time. They profess Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. And then they run out and they sin. Then when judgment comes against their sin, what do they do? They run back to God. They ask for forgiveness. They testify, God has forgiven me. And the church starts rejoicing. God has forgiven them. And then they leave the church. And what starts happening again? The cycle happens all over again. Folks, I think that we need some people who are willing to make up their minds that they would just rather be steady with Jesus. That they would just rather walk with the Lord all the time rather than being a part of this vicious cycle of sin, forgiveness, restoration, and sin again. I think God is far more glorified when a person gets saved and they live their lives for Jesus all their life. Now don't misunderstand me. I understand all too well that we need Forgiveness when we fall. And I understand all too well that God will forgive us if we fall. But you need to know this. That God has equipped us. He's given us all the tools necessary to live a life of honor and glory. He's given us all that we need to prevent us from falling. We can do this. We really can. You can say, well, I'm just living a sinful body. That's true. But God has given us all that we need to prevent us from falling. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He said, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. I say we ought to just walk with Jesus in a steady manner, in a God-honoring manner. So does God condone sin? Does God excuse sin? No, God condemns all sin. Look in verse 6. Paul said, certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? And in that last statement in verse 8, their condemnation is just. 
Their condemnation is just. Again, Paul answered their argument by saying, may it never be, may it never be. No way, Jose. I mean, if God winks at your sin, then what right does he have to judge your sin? But he doesn't condone it. He doesn't excuse it. The idea here is, is that all sin is judged by God. Your sin will be judged by God. Nobody gets out of this thing without having our sins judged. Does that give you the creeps? Nobody gets out of this life without having our sins judged. Friend, there is a price on sin. And the Bible says that that price is eternal death. The wages of sin is? I'm going to have some good news for you today. That while the wages of sin is death, those who have placed their faith in Jesus, our sins have already been judged on the cross. Our sins have already been covered in the blood of Jesus. And we are saved from the wrath of God. Praise the Lord. In Romans chapter 5, verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Y'all listen carefully. Just because you hadn't been caught yet, don't mean you won't. Nothing escapes the eye of God. To God, there is no such thing as a secret sin. It's all sin. And it's all against Him. Yeah, it might affect you, and it might affect your neighbor, it might affect your friend. But all sin is against God. God knows what's in your life, and He knows just where, He knows just when, and He knows just how to take care of it. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Again, Paul's last statement there in verse 8 will pierce you to the heart. He says their condemnation is just. He simply says that if you think God will just wink at your sin, if you think God will just overlook your sin, then you need to know that you'll be condemned. That's exactly what people deserve who think God just overlooks sin. See, sin cannot glorify God. And God cannot and God will not condone or overlook sin. But it's crazy to me. It's crazy that even when we get that, even when we get that our sin is against a most holy God, even when we get that, some people still try to justify their sins. Christians do it too. Several years ago, the House of Representatives voted unanimously to reveal all the names of past and present members of Congress that had bounced checks. That was kind of stupid, wasn't it? Only problem was, was when the list was revealed, it contained 355 names. 
one of the representatives wrote 972 bad checks. Another one wrote 716 bad checks. The honorable representative, and I use that term loosely, the honorable representative Charles Wilson from Texas made five different excuses why he was writing bad checks. The first excuse he gave, he said, it's not like I murdered somebody. Translation, it ain't so bad. Second excuse, my people knew I was sloppy when they voted for me. Translation, they knew I was stupid when they elected me. The third one, if you've never bounced a check, then don't vote for me. Translation, everybody does it. The fourth excuse, the system was all fouled up. Translation, it ain't my fault. And the fifth and maybe the worst excuse was, it's no big deal. Translation, it's no big deal. See, the problem with us, friends, is we don't think sin is a big deal. And so we find ourselves in this vicious cycle of sin, even as believers. Today, I'm asking us as a church family to make a bold stand to stop justifying our sin. And I'm beginning with me. To stop justifying our sin and to do exactly what God said to do with our sin. To confess it and to forsake it. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word confess, it means to say the same thing about something. So God says, Bill, your sins are filthy, wretched, and they disgust me. God says, Bill, your sins harm my kingdom, and they rob me of glory. God says, Bill, your sins hurt you in ways you can't begin to imagine. God says, he wants me to say the same thing about my sins that he says. He just wants me to come clean. He desires me to be restored. He desires me to grab hold of the promise of God that if I will confess my sin, He will make me clean. You see, the only thing, friends, 
that brings people close to God, closer to God, is putting our sins behind us. Putting our sins under the blood of Jesus Christ. Putting them under the cover of the Lord's sacrifice for our sins. So friends, let me ask you this question. When was the last time you come clean with God? Do you know for sure that your sins are hidden under the blood of Jesus Christ today? Do you know for sure that your sins, the ones you did yesterday, the ones you did this morning, and the ones you're going to do tomorrow more than likely, do you know that they're hidden by the sacrifice of Christ Jesus? You need to be able to leave here completely understanding that. Here's some good news for you. Anybody here, myself included, can come clean with God. Anybody here today can come clean and get right with God and walk out of here placed on a fresh plane with Jesus. So is there anybody here today that needs to come clean? Is there anybody here that just senses in their heart, man, I just got to get right with God. I've gone on long enough. It's time for me to get right. Maybe you just got some things you need to work on. You're doing a lot of right things, but you just acknowledge, and the Spirit has spoken to you this morning, I just got some things I need to work on. If so, this time of decision this morning is for that purpose. This altar, this opportunity to pray is for that purpose. So do you need to get cleaned up? Do you need to get right? Don't leave here dirty. Leave here clean. Ready to honor God and live in a way that brings great glory to him. Let me pray for you. Our Father, we celebrate this day as a day of new beginnings. Father, we cling and hold fast to your promise that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and you are just to forgive us our sins.